morning. Hello, Jerry. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am wonderful. I am wonderful. I want to thank you for joining, joining me today on Indigo Sessions. Uh, it's a beautiful day today. I'm really excited about this. I'm, I'm very honored to have you uh, as a guest today. Uh, our last conversation was just so uh, amazing and beautiful, the stuff that, that you're involved in. And that's what I kind of wanted to share on this, on this uh, recording today, as well as not necessarily highlight, but uh, share, some on, share some information on the sweat lodge, because that was something that um, is kind of close to me. That became a modality for me that was uh, really uh, just, it, it changed a lot for me. So inside of that, can, I, can you introduce us and like tell us how you would uh, explain what it is that you do? Because it's quite a, it's, you offer a lot, basically. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for inviting me and Happy New Year and Happy New Solstice and all that good greeting stuff. And thank you. Um, uh, yeah, so um, yeah, my name's Jerry Bowie. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, my uh, partner and I, for the last 26 maybe plus years, have uh, worked in very close and intimate relationships with many uh, indigenous um, healers, kudunderos, medicine people. Um, and we've had the opportunity of really being very intimately apprenticed into this path of, of sacred medicine through, through many traditions. We, uh, we've been in very close relationship with many of the tribes here in the Great Basin, uh, Shoshone, Ute, Paiute, uh, Goshute. Um, uh, we've also uh, uh, spent time in Mongolia working with the shamans uh, in different parts of Mongolia. Um, we've had a, a close and intimate relationship with Melodoma Somme, who uh, prior to his departure from this world was teaching and apprenticing us in his medicine ways. And that's just to name a few. We've, we've crossed paths and been in relationship with Yoruba and Santerian elders and teachers. Um, yeah, so our path, our personal path has been a medicine path and you mentioned the sweat lodge and, and really the sweat lodge and the sacred pipe were kind of our gateway into this world of looking through life and the lens of the world and this indigenous, um, more holistic approach to life. And, uh, you know, our first apprentices uh, taught us how to carry those traditions and rituals and we do those to this day. Beautiful. So now, do you still do the? Is is it still called in spirit community? What you what you have or what you're doing? Yeah. So my partner and I, for all these, for many many years, what we've offered has been very much through word of mouth, maybe a little Facebook here and there, um, and we've been encouraged actually by some of our elders, but definitely by people in the community to be a little bit more formal and formalized in, in what we do. And so we have created a website called inspiritcommunity.com. So in spirit, as if it's one word, community.com. And there, if we do a retreat, even if we're just holding a community lodge, we try to keep a very updated calendar of what we're doing. Um, we're, we're hoping that uh, to get back and start traveling again. And many of the trips that we orchestrate are uh, trips in which we go and we spend time with uh, some of these uh, elders and teachers. You know, so every year I've been planning a trip to Mongolia. And there I have a group of shamans who are very willing to, to sit and work with us Westerners. Uh, when we go to Peru, 
we have a host of pacos and cloderos and iceros who are willing to uh, hold circle and space with us and and to offer teachings as well as ceremony and ritual and obviously with covid we put some of these trips on hold and uh, now with the vaccines out we're hoping to get back to that business of of uh, helping to um, engage people cross-culturally around these teachings yes how did, how long have you been doing this now since the 1800s no um, <laughs> Indeed. I, you know it, you know it's interesting when my partner and i first met one of the very first activities we went to was a reading by a yoruba priestess that was kind of given a reading for the new year oh, and wow. in that room were many of these people that we later came to call teacher and and actually family and uh and so we always use our the length of our relationship as kind of measuring gauge of when we started in these ways and so it's been about 26 27 years that we've been doing this that's wonderful again in spirit as a formal uh venue in which to to uh, get people involved that's probably within the last two years but um yeah, so about 26, 27 years. Wonderful, wonderful. So now, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, the sweat lodge, can you share with the listeners what it's like to attend a sweat lodge of yours, what what, what all that entails, and kind of just break it down, too, because, I mean, I've had people ask me questions, and there's some preconceived notions of what it is, but I kind of right. wanted to have that conversation so we could ex kind of give a greater detail of what, what it entails, what it really is. Right. So I think it's important for people to understand that um, sweat lodges are as diverse as the traditions and the people who hold that particular ritual for their people. And so if you were to go to a Lakota lodge, it may look very different than the lodge that I'm doing here. And, and my teacher in particular around this sweat lodge is um, Western Ute. And mm -hmm. so... Um, one of the differences might be my door faces the east, whereas a Lakota lodge, I believe their door faces the west. Um, but a lodge in its most broadest general sense is a ritual of purification and connectedness to spirit and ancestors. And so when you step into a lodge, it's shaped like an igloo nowadays they're usually covered with blankets and tarps but when you go inside the lodge and close the door it should be close or perfectly dark yes. in the middle is a place where the rocks sit and these rocks are cooked in a sacred fire and prepared for the lodge and so when the rocks come in often they are red and aglow and they're lava stones in, in yeah. my tradition Yes. And so when you go into a lodge, there are prayers, there are sacred songs, there is an invocation to invite the spirits to come and to join us, to witness our prayers, and to carry our prayers for us. And so in my lodge, we have four rounds, uh, around in the east, south, west, and north. And each round represents some aspect of life it may represent a season it represents uh, a pocket of teachings and and after your prayers are guided by those rounds so the first round i may pray for myself be really clear about what's the work i need to do within myself the yes. second round maybe i pray for my loved ones the third round i pray for my enemies and sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. Yes. And then the fourth round is the place of gratitude. And, uh, and again, there's multiple layers of teachings, but in essence, each round and the songs of those rounds are an attachment to those teachings and an invitation for the spirits to come and to offer us vision, healing, guidance, insight, etc. How long is each each session? Each um, as long as it needs to be. 
Okay. <laughs> right, so nice. that's a, it's an interesting, people always ask, well, how hot does it get in the lodge? Well, it gets yeah. as hot as it needs to be. How long is it? <laughs> it's as long as it needs to be. Um, you know, the first teaching of lodge is to let go oh. of our westernized constructs around time, space, right? We're there to focus on our prayers. Yeah. So in my lodge, we sing four songs and and then everyone participates in a prayer and um so sometimes that can move very quickly and sometimes if people are struggling or they need some assistance or or um for whatever reason the pace of the lodge may shift so that the work can happen and that's where the variables come in yeah how should one prepare for a sweat lodge when going, you know, attending a sweat lodge for the first time? Well, even to this day, if I go to a new lodge, um, I always encourage people to go and be an observer. Um, again, some of our westernized domesticated ways of doing things, right, is we don't ever want to look like we don't know what's going on. Yes, yes. <laughs> In this way, show up in humility and listen very carefully to those who have been before or the elders who are there conducting the ceremony. And so you have to show up with an open heart and an open mind and allow yourself to be available for the spirit and the ancestors to come and to move you in whatever direction needs to happen. Um, so in preparation for a lodge, obviously you want to show up fairly hydrated, but second of all, you should really, you know, for me, like when I know there's a lodge, I'm already thinking about it on Monday, even though the lodge is on Saturday, right? My, my prayers, yeah. my clarity about what I'm looking for, clarity about what I need to release. I just spend time pondering those things and opening myself up to the various ways that spirit is moving me even before I get to the lodge. In fact, I would argue that the minute I set the intention to go into lodge, the ancestors are already there supporting the process. Beautiful, I love that. I love that because I mean, it's, it's truly about the intention. And yeah. it sounds like, you know, you're, what you're saying is there's a preparation that you should do like mental, that you would advise doing mentally and spiritually prior to the actual like sweat lodge ceremony. Yeah. Um, depending on what a person wants to get out of it. You know, I yeah. can tell that some people show up and they're, they're really open to whatever happens. And there are some people who are just there because they want to show off their six pack. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> And, you know, people will get out of it what they allow themselves to receive. And uh, so I often tell people, you can come into the lodge and get hot and sweaty and say, wow, that was neat. Or you can come into the lodge and have your heart and mind open to the idea that spirit is going to move you and change you and alter your life in profound and magical ways. Yes. You can walk out of that lodge and have a sense of clarity and direction. You can walk out of that lodge and leave behind your addictions and your struggles and step into a new way of being. And so the lodge is not in and of itself the magic. It's a catalyst. It's, it's meant to be a catalyst to open doors. The work yes. is your commitment to carry that medicine throughout other aspects of your life. Now that's beautiful. <clears throat> yeah, I was given thought to that myself with the, to me, there's like an elemental healing that goes on, you know, combining earth, water, fire, air, and spirit between yourself and you know, the, uh, yeah. the creator. So now do you, do you, uh, do, do people bring offerings when they come to the lodge? Um, like so in the that. way that in the way that I was taught, you uh -huh. um, two things: offerings are made to the lodge keeper, and if there's a fire keeper, 
And so traditionally that is probably some form of tobacco, like maybe yeah. pipe tobacco or cigarettes. And out here, when you bring an offering, you include red cloth with it, or you wrap the offering in red cloth. Um, uh, it's not uncommon that people bring donations. It's not uncommon that people bring things like sweetgrass, cedar, sage, um, cornmeal, things that are used in the lodge are often provided by the participants. I've been doing lodge for 20 years and very seldom do I ever have to go and purchase medicine items to use in the lodge because they show up as offerings. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that, that is traditional. Um, uh, in a way, the other teaching that I was given was you don't turn anyone away for lack of an offering. And so uh, specifically, my teacher would say, if someone brought you a piece of chewed up meat, you accept it and you do the work. And so um, um, the offerings are received in graciousness, they're offered to spirit, and then you go and you do the work. And uh, uh, in the practicalities of Lodge is uh, at, at my home, I just have a donation jar and uh, people are encouraged to leave a donation, but it's not a requirement. Yes. So now, do people attend, do you see people attending these things, break, uh, these uh, sweat lodges regularly, like weekly or even like bi-weekly or is it is there too much to do in it or is it just something that's just i mean i'm sure it's dependent on the individual but as far as your recommendations go can you do it too much or can you do it too little um well i i i, I do have a group of people who come on a fairly regular consistent basis um it's kind of a, a life discipline for them and yeah. Uh, they're committed to, you know, it's part of kind of their ritualistic approach to life. And, um, and then there are a lot of people who come just at particular times when they need to do prayers. And so I don't think there's a set. And I don't know that I've seen people come too often or not often enough. Um, I think what really matters is the quality of how a person shows up. Yes. Yeah. So now with the, um, you said you also do a, a, a tobacco ceremony. Is yeah. That correct? What, what did sure. you call it again? Pipe ceremony. Does, do you ever combine the pipe ceremony with the sweat lodge or are those two separate, uh, separate ceremonies? Right. So again, every tradition's different, but it, it is not uncommon in most lodges that I've gone to that sitting mm -hmm. on the altar is a sacred pipe. Uh, for many uh, native communities, the smoking a pipe is like a sacred contract. It's a sacred relationship and a very sacred way to offer prayers. And so often a uh, pipe will sit on the altar at the beginning of the lodge. And then at the end of the lodge, the community smokes that pipe together. Uh, a pipe ceremony in and of itself what we do is we may have a community gathering and the pipes are loaded and put on the altar and then people are encouraged to offer their prayers or to uh, share their thoughts. All of that kind of energy or that conversation comes into the medicine of the pipe. And uh, when, when people are done speaking, then we smoke that pipe together as a community. And um, so there's different variations of, of how to use a pipe, <coughs> excuse me. And um, it, it, traditionally the pipe was used in many ways. It was used socially. It was used as a way of solidifying agreements, contracts and treaties. Uh, it was used in prayer as a powerful way of connecting with the creator. Uh, and so in this way, in a pipe ceremony, it's really used as a way to bring people together to share and witness prayers and to offer support to each other in a sacred way. 
How often do you do those? Um, here in our home, we do them at least once a month or when asked. So there might be maybe there's a family that's struggling or somebody uh, needs uh, a pipe prayer for something special going on. Then we might hold a special ceremony with that family, for instance. But as far as a community event, we hold that like the first Sunday of each month. And, um, you know, COVID kind of impacted us in an interesting way. And so we started having uh, uh, pipe gatherings over Zoom. And uh, it actually worked out quite well. And it was, it was a nice way for people to pull themselves out of the doldrums of quarantine, if you will, or isolation, yeah. and to come together in a communal way to, to connect and encourage each other through the difficult times that we've been facing with COVID. Yes. And what, what kind of healing have you seen come from some of the stuff that you're involved in? Because I'm sure you've seen quite a bit. But uh, just to kind of like share the the immense, you know, the, the greatness of this, that there's really something there to it. And, it's, and it really is, you know, these really are effective means of like healing modalities. Well, um, yeah, what haven't I seen? Um, I have seen people um, come into a lodge and leave their addictions behind. So probably the the one consistent thing I see is when people are, struggling with addiction that lodge uh, in particular tends to be a very powerful catalyst to getting on the path of of sobriety and wholeness um, yeah. i've seen people with physical ailments who uh, showed up to say hey my doctor diagnosed me with cancer and um, after a ceremony go back and the doctor's no longer able to find traces of the disease and I've seen the other side of it. I've seen people come to Lodge to learn how to die. To huh. really kind of face their fears and their, you know, maybe they have a terminal disease. And so they've come to the Lodge because they trust that the medicine of the Lodge will guide them <laughs> to a peaceful and beautiful death. Um, I've seen people with a lot of emotional turmoil or, or uh, things that they're struggling with get deep perspective um, and maybe even vision and guidance to uh, move their lives forward. So Lodge can be a very powerful experience. Uh, as someone who leads Lodge, I'm also have had very strong intuitive knowings. When I've had people in my Lodge, I can often uh, sense and know where they're at and where they might need some help and able to offer some doctoring work Yes. And, I, and I've seen that be incredibly transformative for people. So there really is no limit to what can happen in Lodge. And, and I know we're talking specifically about Lodge, but I, I would suggest in my experience with a lot of these indigenous technologies, right, right. that our perspective around health and healing has become so centrally focused to only our bodies and how do we mitigate pain, for instance. Yes. And what I would suggest in all these traditions, right, that health mm -hmm. is seen through a much more holistic sense of body, mind, and spirit. Um, and so in many cases, people come to these rituals and ceremonies to become connected to the sense of spirit, right? Um, yeah. And, and so that's where I have seen some very deep transformative work happen is people's ability to get connected to a spiritual sense of self. Yes, no, definitely. And then I have uh, another question on that, on the sweat, on the sweat lodge. Uh, do people ask you about the heat factor? What if it's too hot? And that's <laughs> yes. that's what I want to try because I know that the, the ones that I've been in, they've allowed people to step out if it gets too intense for them. Uh -huh. But what happens is they have to stay outside until that round is over and they come back in once the uh, next one starts. Yeah. 
So that, yeah, uh, go ahead. People will always say, well, how hot does it get in there? And it's like, well, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> you see, you can transcend the discomfort of the heat yes. sitting on the ground. I'm, you know, almost 60 years old. Sitting on the ground is not easy for me. But yeah. you can transcend those places when you're focused on prayer, when you're focused on spirit, you can transcend those places. And so um, what I tell people is that if they're struggling, that they should sing louder, pray harder. Okay. And if they still are in that place of unable to get through it, then they should get my attention, you know, call out grandfather. Yes. And when I'm able, like, I'm not going to stop a song. I'm not going to stop a prayer. But when I'm in between something, I'll check in. I'll say, Anthony, what's going on? I don't think yeah. I can do this any longer. So usually what we do is we open up the door, let them step out. Then we close the door and we continue the round. Um, yeah. So we don't ever um, force people to do more than what they can handle. And yet yeah. a lot of times people want to leave Lodge less about the heat because something's happening for them. Yes. And, and so sometimes I may intuit it and I may talk to that person and just help them get grounded and get rooted into their breath, get rooted into the ground and see if I can help them work with what's coming up. Yes. So sometimes people can, can kind of catch their energetic breath, if you will, and they're able to get through the round and through the lodge. And then they're usually immensely grateful for it. But if I have yeah. someone who says, hey, I need out, and my intuition is they need out, then I, you know, accommodate that as soon as, soon as I can. Yeah. Now, and, you know, I mentioned that, too, because I know there's been some, like, you know, negative stuff out there about certain, you know, lodges that have taken place and that have ended, have not ended well. But I yeah. wanted to definitely talk about this to kind of clear the air about it because again it's about intention it's about breakthrough it's about really connecting to something different than you know what we've what we've usually done i used to have people that would you know tell me they wanted to come with me you know and i would tell them what it was about and they would get all excited and for them it was more like a an entertainment thing you know or like a test to see if they were strong enough to do it and when it came down to it though and i would actually you know the day would come and i was heading to the lodge i would you know say hey i'm going you ready um no, maybe next time. You know, that's what I was, that's what I got. So, but I thought it was funny, the kind of this, the preconceived notions that people have about it, you know, and, and again, for me, I was at a place in my life where I wanted answers. I wanted peace. I want, I needed healing bad. So I was willing to go through anything and everything to attain that. Yeah. And it was just the most beautiful experience that I've, I've, I've had in some time, you know, which is why I'm, I'm, I'm hyped about it. I love sharing them and talking about them and being in them. And I definitely want, you know, would recommend, you know, a sweat lodge to somebody who is looking for something, you know, of a spiritual connection, but definitely finding that thing that resonates for you, you know, and just doing because someone told you to do it, but, you know, really sitting with the idea of it to see if it resonates. Right. Well, and I think that's why it's important for people to pay attention. Like, even if I go to somebody else's lodge, maybe I've been invited to a new lodge. I will go and I will, I'm observing what's happening. Are people respectful to each other? Are they speaking yeah. in kind terms with each other? Do they have a sense of community? How do they, how do they move and operate around the sacred items? How do they move and operate around the fire and the lodge itself? Like I'm watching all that. And sometimes I may think, wow, I'm not sure this is the right place for me. Or sometimes yeah. I'll say, okay, I may not know their songs or their ways, but I see that they are in deep respect with these things. And so I always encourage people pay attention to those things and trust your intuition. My teachers, when they taught me how to carry any ceremony or ritual, that the primary objective is taking care of the people and being of service of the people who are there. And so uh, people's safety, uh, I'll give you an example. Today is New Year's Day, and we were supposed to do a lodge tonight. But in my home, I, there's my partner and myself, and then we've had some house guests, and I have two roommates. Yeah. Well, 
people have been getting sick and and like it's literally jumped from one person to the next and even though oh, i'm man. healthy and feel yeah. okay running a lodge i'm thinking for the safety and wellness of the people coming here it may not be a good idea for people to be coming in and out of my home because they may pick up you know so in 26 years i've never canceled a lodge but tonight um I've canceled it for the community. I will still run a lodge to respect calling in the ancestors for this date, but it will yeah. just be me in that lodge. And if everyone's healthy and, and happy by next week, then we'll do a community lodge. Um, and so when I get people in my, in my space, and I see this with many elders and other lodge keepers, right? They're yeah. very interested in the safety of the people there. I think some of the things we've seen happen, like in Sedona, for instance, mm -hmm. um, I, I remember seeing pictures of the lodge. Like, I think he had over 65 people in this lodge. How do, yeah. you, how do you take care of 65 people? I don't care how great and powerful you are. Right? <laughs> uh, that was just too big. Yes. Let yes, alone... There were a lot of things I could just see in the pictures. I thought, wow, I think this was somebody who just thought, let's recreate this thing and perhaps had never really been apprenticed or taught how to not just do the mechanics of a lodge, but to carry the medicine of the lodge. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. How would you recommend somebody find a lodge? If they were interested in that, you know, cause like, it's like I had people ask me, but then again, it was like, you know, you, you kind of, I wouldn't say judge their character, but you kind of get a feel for if someone's being sincere or not. And if they are, you know, would, where would you guide them? Or how would you like a, let them know, like, this is, this is what, how I would approach it. You know, do you ask friends or do you go online and look for reputable sweat lodges, you know? <laughs> well, maybe the first thing I would do is I would sit down in my place of prayer and meditation and I would talk to the ancestors or the spirits and I would say, I feel a calling to do this thing. And so I'm asking you to open the door and the pathway for this thing to come into my life. So I might start out by putting my intentions out into the world saying, this is what I'm looking for. And then um, often they, those things just kind of show up. Yeah. But um, like here in Salt Lake City, we have our um, uh, Indian Urban Center. It's a, it's a community center and a service center for the native people here in Salt Lake City. And so I might call and talk to them and ask, hey, uh, do you have, like our, our community center here in Salt Lake City has a list of people who provide uh, sweat lodge or different kinds of traditional medicine healing ways. And uh, so that might be a place to start. Um, I think sometimes I get a little nervous about new age sources because <laughs> usually new age sources are I understand. Um, questionable. Um, yeah. we, we have a trading post here in Salt Lake City that specializes in selling uh, Native American uh, crafts and artwork. And, uh, and so I might, and it, and it employs many native people. And so I might go there and, and chat with some of the folks there to see if, if they're aware of any good resources. Yes. Um, what, what I would encourage your listeners to do or to know is, um, uh, people of non-native lineage might be viewed somewhat suspiciously. And so Often it's in building relationships with people and being patient in the request. Um, uh, because people tend to be invited if there's a sense that they will treat what they come in relationship to respectfully. Yes. Does that make sense? Or they, yeah, it does. Or they could even yeah. go see you in Salt Lake City, yes? Sure, you could see me here in Salt Lake <laughs> City. Now, with the pipe ceremonies, can we, can we talk about that? Sure. Okay, so with the pipe ceremony, I saw that you had a, a, a virtual one going on. 
Yep. Is that right? Is that coming up or is that passed already? Uh, actually, we have one tomorrow on tomorrow. the 2nd. Yep. At 1 o'clock here, uh, Mountain Time. But usually it's the first Sunday of each month. First Sunday. Very nice. Yeah. Can you can you take us through a pipe ceremony? What that's like, and what that's for? Who would who would go to a pipe ceremony, anyway? Like first off, um, I think anyone that's interested in connecting with community, that's interested in connecting with spirit, um, might find a pipe ceremony to be um, helpful. So in essence, it's a prayer circle. So if anyone's familiar with a talking circle, for instance, like uh -huh. when we're here before COVID, when we weren't meeting face, -to when we were meeting face to face, we literally would sit in a circle. We create an altar with, um, uh, we just create an altar space. We uh, load the pipe by calling them the directions, usually singing a directional song or actually offering prayers and inviting the the ancestors of the different directions to come and to be in our sacred space um, we load those pipes and we put them on the altar now how people behave around a pipe that is loaded is very important so um, uh, all of our words all of our songs that are spoken or sung should be treated in a very sacred way and people share what's on their mind right so um uh i might say i might hold a, a piece of tobacco and and speak and say you know creator it's i jerry and um i'm here in gratitude for the opportunity to be here with people here are the things that i need help with or here are the things that that i might ask the ancestors to help or i have a family member that needs this kind of assistance and then um, that tobacco is put on a plate. And so each person is offering a tobacco prayer and it's put on the plate. And then that plate ends up going completely around the circle. And then with that tobacco, that's what's loaded into the pipes. And then um, we might do it just, I may speak a prayer for the group saying, creator, please receive these prayers. And then we smoke that pipe and we pass that pipe around and and everyone partakes or is blessed by the pipe. Um, now with COVID, we had to get innovative. And so um, I create an altar here in my home and we sit in front of the, um, most people can't, because of Zoom, most people can't see the altar, but we tell them that it's there. They know that the pipe is there and each person wherever they sit in the world and we have people all over the country and sometimes outside of the country participate in these prayer circles but each one is encouraged to have their own tobacco and to make their prayers and if they can't smoke that tobacco then they're encouraged to offer it to the wind or to the water but to release that tobacco into the universe at the end of the ceremony and so the Zoom version becomes more of a grand talking circle where mm -hmm. people are just kind of sharing and connecting as a community. Um, and uh, I have to be a little bit more technically savvy than I normally am, but <laughs> we've been doing it now, what, for two years and it works and it's helping people stay connected. I notice we have a lot of elderly people who participate. And so I imagine those are the ones who are hit hardest by some of the social isolation issues around COVID. Yeah. And so to me, it's just a great service, right? To folks that might feel pretty alone and isolated can come and sit with us and have that sense of connection for an hour. And is there a specific kind of tobacco that's used? Um, what we use is just regular pipe tobacco. Um, mm -hmm. The more natural, the better. And then we mix it with a, a blend called Kniknik, which is different kind of herbs that are collected and that gets mixed together. And so it's it's just a very natural blend of tobacco is what we use. Yeah. Wow, that sounds amazing. But, but you can, 
Look, if you take a cigarette, I tell people, take a cigarette, break off the filter. If you offer that cigarette to the ancestors, if you offer that tobacco, that cigarette to the directions, that cigarette is just a sacred is holding the pipe. Yeah. It's, it's not the tool, right? It's the intention and the manner in which you carry it. Absolutely. And so taking that tobacco and offering it to the directions and, and smoking it in your meditation can, can be a very powerful way of connecting. Yes. Now you, you also do coaching as well, right? Yeah. So is that, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, again, we've worked in many traditions. So for instance, uh, Melodoma taught my partner and I how to do the cowrie shout divinations of his people. And, um, and so we do uh, divination sessions or, or people say, what's divinations? Maybe that's not a word that's used as much. But if you think about a tarot reading where mm -hmm. you get your cards read, in this case, yeah. it's the same concept, but you're reading shells. Um, so we do readings. We work with different kinds of medicines. And so um, often people need to be able to work through or understand or be guided uh, in, in experiences that they're having. And so this coaching is meant to sit in counsel with people and to really kind of help them sort out at that kind of spiritualistic perspective, how to work through particular challenges. And sometimes yeah. the coaching might involve some kind of ritualistic healing or doctoring <laughs> that um, might help them move energetic blocks or challenges to um, feeling whole or complete. Now you, all, you also have some, <clears throat> Other experience in like uh, another realm of, of, of healing modalities, if you will, like counseling and working with people, <clears throat> not inside of like your, your spiritual work here. But I mean, it's all spirit, but <clears throat> right. basically as far as like the Western world is concerned, it's like to how we address stuff. I mean, your um, like your, your day, what was your day job before? Or am right. I, so, I, go ahead. Yeah. So I'm a clinical social worker and I have a private practice called Pride Counseling here in Salt Lake City. And so I do traditional mental health counseling that um, unless invited by the client or if it's part of the client's paradigm, I tend to not step into the realm of spirituality or ritual um, yes. because it's outside the scope of the licensing. And so, God. you know, people may come and see me for relationship issues or depression or whatever. And, so I might see them under that guise. If yeah. someone approaches me and says, hey, I hear you do these rituals or these ceremonies or that you do like shamanic healing, then I gear them towards in spirit because mm -hmm. that allows me a lot more flexibility to work with people um, outside of the mental health licensing. Does it, does it boost what you do as, as a whole or does it ever, does it ever kind of, I don't know, do you, is it ever i wouldn't imagine a conflict but is it making sense what i'm asking like sure i would imagine it's kind yeah. of hard i mean you've been doing this for a while i would imagine it's kind of hard just yeah. to like be one way you know all the time like every all your experiences it's basically who you are so even if you're not really offering any of these modalities to, to other folks or the people when they're working with you they're going to get that anyway because that's who you are right right so yeah, certainly it informs me. Like my work with these uh, traditionalists and teachers, like I said, um, from a using a really broad term, but from a shaman shamanistic perspective, you're mm -hmm. not just looking at mental health, right? You're looking at body, yes. mind, spirit. Um, I was talking to an elder this morning, and he made this comment. He says. It's unfortunate that most of our culture looks at the world or the earth as a commodity versus mm -hmm. a living entity. Yes. Right. Now, that's a significant paradigm shift. If I am in relationship with the earth as a living entity, then how I walk on her back, right, 
is yeah. I, I'm, I'm in a sacred walk. If I think of it as a commodity that I'm trying to, you know, conquer and create what I want versus what should be there. That's a paradigm shift. And I, I would say even my notion of health, what people want to describe as abnormal or as problematic in many cultures and traditions would see be seen as a gift. Yes, How our culture mm -hmm. looks at death and the initiation of death is very different than in many uh, uh, indigenous societies that see death as, as an equally important initiation as birth. <laughs> right our culture wants to avoid yes. the conversation yes yes i, so, I agree that's intense yeah. too you know it really is because people just put so much weight into that i mean i can understand experiencing loss and the grieving that comes along with it but for it to totally like knock you off your 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 rocker there and like you just leave you like aimless for for a while that, that just doesn't seem healthy at all because death is a part of life it's yeah. like you know so as a mental health therapist, um, I can often bring those uh, paradigm shifts and ideas into people's consciousness and kind of help them liberate themselves from such a narrow perspective around their suffering or around their, their struggle. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily, as a mental health therapist, say, hey, I'm suggesting you go do the sweat lodge. Yes. Right. Because yeah. I have to respect where people are coming from. And so what I find is that my my sense of identity around the, the teachings that I've received can be powerful tools in helping transform people's sense of well-being. Um, and, and frankly, I think it, what makes me a fairly popular therapist in the Valley is I think outside of those boxes. Yes, absolutely. But I'm very respectful of client boundaries. So if I'm working with someone who's coming from a conservative religion, I have to be in respect of that religion and in relationship with their spiritual paradigm and not yeah. impose my own. But if people come see me through in spirit, then I know that they're coming because they want to receive what we have to offer through that paradigm. Yes. That's uh, beautiful, my friend. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Now, on your trips, your travels that you do, those those are actually those would be like the retreats, right? Well, we actually they... do. Re like next next month, I have a retreat, and uh, we'll engage in certain different kind of uh, uh, rituals, right? And do lots of talking circles, and that we do here locally, or. Um, I've done retreats in Bermuda. I've done retreats uh, in New Mexico, um, uh, Colorado. I've done retreats around the country, uh, but most of them I do here in Utah. When we go on these trips, I just basically become an organizer. And I'll mm -hmm. say, hey, look, I'm going to go to Peru. And I'm, there's a friend of mine who uh, does shamanistic work. Um, and he, we, what we do is we create a trip. I organize people and then I'm just a participant. I just go there because I know that these shamans we work with, that they know what they're doing. And so I step back and I'm just there to kind of get people there to help them get acquainted with these elders and teachers in a way that allows them to get something out of the journey. Yes. Now you, you spoke of rituals. Can you share some of those rituals or do you already share some of them that you were doing? Um, you mean on the trips or yeah. here? Yes, on the, um, on the trips. Well, it just depends on where we go. So if we're in Peru and we're in the Andes, um, they work with different medicines there that are visionary in nature. They, uh, they do despachos, which are ancestral offerings that... Mm -hmm. Um, or for, for healing, for gratitude, you know, whatever the intention is. Um, and a lot of what we receive are, are teachings about kind of like the paradigm of thought that was driving, you know, like the Incans and those who were pre-Incans, you know, what guided them and their sense of how they related and viewed the world. If we go 
to the Amazon, we do what they do in the Amazon. Um, and uh, again, there's a variety of plants and medicines that are used as well as a, a different perspective of how the world operates. If we go to Mongolia, there the shamans operate very differently. They, um, the shamans there go into deep trances. They channel ancestral guides and, and uh, will engage in different fire rituals or water rituals or nature rituals. Um, and often the shamans, when they're channeling, will bring down wisdom or they'll do physical healings on people. Um, uh, so yeah, it just kind of depends on where we're going. Um, that my contacts in these different places all know that our, our foremost interest is understanding uh, their ways and connections with medicine and spirituality. Yeah. yeah. How long do you spend, how much time do you spend at these places? In these areas um usually 10 to 14 days 10 to 14 days yeah like for instance to get to mongolia is almost a 27 hour uh trip between flying and layovers it can be a uh, a pretty intense trip uh getting to peru is not quite as arduous but um what we find what i find is it takes a minute for people to shake off Right, we hold on almost like addicts, right? We hold on to yes. what we know. Yeah. And so what needs to happen is the ability for people to show up and to let go. And to let go of expectations, to let go of the need to keep checking our clocks, our watches, the need to feel like we're in control of everything, and to really kind of allow ourselves to sink deeply into the experience. Um and so what I find is once people are, are at that place, that's where some of the deep transformation happens, where the conversations on the bus or the conversations on the boats, right, are, are, yeah. are much deeper and much more profound because we have let go of social media. We have let go of our computers. We have let go of our connections to what is familiar to really find ourselves. No, I agree. I agree. That is a, that is some amazing work that you do, and it it really is. I mean, that connection that the connection that we have with each other is just so like vital and like even healing in its own in itself, you know. And like you said, when you start having those more profound you know conversations. I believe that's when the heart starts to like open up more, you know, and then the healing starts to happen a lot a lot easier yeah. or you know with more proficiency. So one thing we've done in our culture, right, is we have created such deep distractions from each other, right? Do yeah. you ever walk into a restaurant and everyone is looking into their iPhone or Android? We've <laughs> stopped looking at each other. Yes. And it is the one thing that people struggle with on these trips is when I tell them, please don't bring your computers. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. Great. You know, now our phones are connected to our cameras, but, you know, I'll encourage people stay off of Facebook and Instagram. Like the world will exist without your posting what you had for <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> yes. Well, what about that though? Like when people have their phones with them on these trips, do you, do you suggest they not, you know, just kind of keep the pictures to a minimum or don't take any pictures? You know, people like to record stuff all the time. Oh no, no. We, um, yeah, people are allowed to take pictures of what they want, other than when we're in ceremony or actually in a particular process. Yeah. Um, and then we tell people no. But like our shamans in Mongolia, um, some of them are just, they could care less about the cameras and some of them mm -hmm. are like, yeah, please don't do that. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're just respectful with who we're working with and and I have enough of a relationship with folks to know um, who has an issue with it and who doesn't. And, and, yeah. and most, you know, most of our guests are respectful. They understand. Like when we go to Mongolia, we uh, one year went out to where the reindeer people live and they don't have any connection to technology. Why are they called and the reindeer so, people? Um, 
they live in very remote areas of Mongolia and they have domesticated reindeer in the same way that we've domesticated horses. Oh, wow. And yeah. And so it's nothing to be walking around the camp of, of the, these Mongolians who have worked with the reindeer uh, and just have reindeer roaming around and, and, uh, Reindeer are kind of interesting. They're like dogs. They're very curious. And so they're not, yeah. these reindeer are not terribly bashful about coming up and checking out what you're having for breakfast. Um, <laughs> uh, but again, these are very nomadic people and uh, they like having, they like having guests to their area um, uh, because it gives them, you know, we're a curiosity to them, just like, they're kind of a curiosity to us and yeah. but they're very sharing and some of their traditions around shamanism is really deep and profound. Um, uh, it, you know, comparing mental westernized mental health with their sense of mental health. If we have someone here in the States who's kind of psychotic or schizophrenic, right? We sedate them, we medicate them, we hospitalize them. Yeah. Out there, if someone has those kind of symptoms, they're seen as having a special gift. And so in many cases, the shamans will take care of those people and teach them how to respect their gift to see or to hear things. And they become very integral parts of the community. Um, and what's very interesting is... Um, uh, even uh, uh, Melodoma and his people in Africa do a very similar thing in, in his village, um, where those who may demonstrate mental health concerns, right, a community will gather around that person and witness them and embrace them. Um, and I once asked Melodoma, well, what happens to those folks once you've witnessed what they have to say? And he said, well, they usually go back to normal. Like it oh, becomes, wow. becomes normalized behavior. Yeah. Um, and, and here we get into deep pathology around it. So it kind yeah. of has, you have to ask yourself how much of what we have defined as problematic in this country is because of our discomfort and dis-ease with a disease as opposed to a society that that might culturally be able to embrace those who are on the fringes. Do you see a lot of a lot more uh, Westerners embracing that kind of philosophy, that kind of ideology? I think West. I, I do think there is something happening in this country, um, and and you know there is kind of this wave or this onset of uh, working with psychedelics, right? Mm -hmm. Ayahuasca. Yeah. Wachuma, uh, mushrooms. Uh, and, and just saying, so you know, I'm not endorsing any of that, but I just think this wave of interest of people really seeking some spiritual profound awakening mm -hmm. to me is a symptom of a culture that has decided to um, expand their paradigm about what is what works in our culture. Um, right, we have changed how we work with people who are struggling with addiction, right? Uh, yeah. Because we recognize that incarceration and hospitalization is not necessarily fixing the problem. If anything, it's just storing it for the future. Absolutely. And, and so we're having to look at more uh, innovative and alternative approaches to treating some of these issues, you know? Uh, so uh so we're looking at some of these it's interesting we call them alternatives and yet yeah. these ways of doing things have been around far longer than penicillin um, yeah yes definitely right so this becomes an interesting way of, of slowly shifting the paradigm so i do think there's an awakening i think westerners are starting to say wow um things aren't working as well and, and maybe it's time to re-examine our relationship with nature, our relationship with the earth, our relationship with ritual, our relationship with uh, spirit. 
So I do think it's happening. Yes. Do you have Do you have any plans for a book? Just out of curiosity, <laughs> because I would imagine these travels here have got to just have filled you with so much of just everything of so much life. You know. Yeah. I but, like doing yeah. a podcast. <laughs> okay, that that'll work too. But the stories you have, though, I mean, they're, they're, they're stories, they're parables of like, you know, just life examples, you know, of, of happenings that if, you know, you, you're, you're a seeker and you, you hear some of these stories, the stories even that you're sharing, you can find, start to find some healing in there, you know, and start to like use that as your like your doorway, your pathway to going further. Yeah, I've had, I've had psychics tell me to write books. I've had, <laughs> I've had elders tell me, um, frankly, I'm just not. At this point in my life, I'm not terribly disciplined to sit down and write. And, and, but I'm also recognizing, I, I think part of it, Anthony, is I don't know that I, I've always known that what we were gift, 